0: Welcome to the Discipleship Helps podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy.
1: All right, well, guys, it is great to be with you all here. I am so glad to see your faces. Why don't we begin with prayer and we will jump right in? Just in your own way, just ask the Lord to prepare your heart for tonight. Just in your own way, just ask Him to help you lay down preconceived ideas. Just in your own way, open up your heart to Him. Just ask Him to help you focus right now, to forget about all the other distractions, all the things that want your attention. Just ask Him to give you focus. Just ask Him to implement these things into your life, that He would be the foundation, that He would be the cornerstone. That your doctrine would be sound. Just ask him for those things. Just ask him that everything that's good that he's giving you would be multiplied into the people around you. Ask him to bless your family as a result of what you're learning. To bless your friends around you. Your co-workers. The people that you encounter. Because of what you're learning. Ask him to multiply it. To multiply the fruit in your life. And Father, we just commit these things to you. Help us find the treasure, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, key quote. Human nature has two sides in relation to God. On the one hand, it is weak and cannot free itself from sin. On the other hand, it also wants to get right with God and it attempts to do so by human effort instead of trusting solely in the work of Christ. That's from Howard Marshall living in the flesh. Uh, So an example of that, Ian, would be what your uh, man said that you were speaking with helping the poor. This is a way that I can make myself righteous. I can do these things and that will increase my righteousness. Righteousness. How many of you at one time thought or know people who now think, yeah, if I do enough good works, I'll, I'll save myself. Yeah, it's a pervasive thought. So we're weak and we cannot free ourselves from sin, but we also want to get right with God, don't we? I would say for many of us, that is still true. We want to free ourselves completely from sin, but sometimes we're still trying to do it in our own strength. Key scriptures. Key scriptures. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Uh, Natalie Whalen, would you please read Genesis 3, right there? Oh, you got to stand up. Remember, we all agreed. We all agreed. <laughs> What goes in that blank? Man was originally created in the likeness of? Although man was given freedom, he used his freedom to? This is not just mankind's problem. It is my problem. Anybody else put something different? Let's go to Galatians 5. All right, someone stand up and read 5, 13, and 14, please. So when I read this verse, I see it largely pertaining to man. So when I read and then I look back at this blank, this is not just mankind's problem. It is my problem, too. Right. And I look at the context, the greater context of the the passage up till now. And I see human nature has two sides. It is we cannot free itself from sin by human effort. When I think about the world having a problem, that's one thing. When I think about me having a problem, that's a little bit more personal, isn't it? I see why you you would put God, because it is him also owning the situation and helping and participating in it as well. I think for the purposes of this lesson, humanity, that the better answer would be my problem. But that's good. I love the different perspectives. All right, introduction. The word of God teaches us many things about the nature of mankind, who we are, where we come from, our purpose for existence. In order for us to understand these teachings, we must first grasp two fundamental truths established in the first book of the Bible. Number one, this is crucial, guys. God created us in his image and likeness to subdue the earth. Number two. We willfully disobeyed God and thus separated ourselves from him, becoming subjugated to sin. So the whole Bible is about how that first one still comes about. So we look at those again. God created us in his image and likeness to subdue the earth. We willfully disobeyed God and thus separated ourselves from him, becoming subjugated to sin. A lot of times when we get into situations or get into trouble, we abandon our first plan, don't we? God never does that. He never abandons the first plan, the original plan. When he says that something will be, it will be. Remember Lazarus. We talked about this last week. The idea that if God tells Jesus that Lazarus will rise from the dead... And then some are that uh, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. And then someone brings a report that Lazarus is dead. Jesus's only conclusion can be, well, then he'll be raised from the dead. Because God already said that this is what would be. What would what would you give to have faith like that? Even if everything was telling me the opposite, I'm still going to believe it because God said it. Therefore, he'll do it. So he said that we would subdue the earth image and likeness. The book of Genesis is filled with information and insight about the beginnings of the human race, which is fitting since the Hebrew title of the book, Bereshit, taken from the first word of the first sentence means in the beginning. All right. Now, if y'all are nerds like me, I then want to know what's Exodus, what's Leviticus, what's Numbers, what's Deuteronomy. So all five of those books, their names in Hebrew correspond with the first communicated thing in Hebrew in each of those books. So I wrote those down. I'm going to give them to you. So you can if you write in your Bible, you can write it next to Genesis. And if you don't want to write in your Bible, you can write it in this book. Okay. so Genesis is Bereshit. that's right there for you. And you can see it means in the beginning. Right. And you see that those are the first three words even in English. Now, not all of them work out like that because this Bible wasn't written in English. English. Okay, you got them? Exodus. Yeah, what is Exodus? Shemote. There, now, there are also a few different spellings. This is an accepted spelling. S-H-E-M-O-T. shemot And in Exodus, if anybody's open there, what are the first few words you got? These are the names. Are the names. That's what that means. Shemote means these are the names. Leviticus. What is Leviticus, Lorme? Veikra. Not Viagra. <laughs> it's, an, it's commercials.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Veikra. V-A-Y-Y-I-Q-R-A. V-A-Y-Y-I-O-T-A. No, Q-R-A. V-A-Y-Y-I-Q-R-A. By Yikra. What's that? Oh, sorry. Okay. And Leviticus, what are the first few words you have? A Lord called. The Yikra means he called. Numbers. Numbers is what? Bemidbar. Yeah, in the wilderness, in the desert. That is B-E-M-I-D-B-A-R. Sure. There's B, yeah, B-E-M-I-D-B-A-R, Benidbar. Now, if you'll see the English translation of how numbers begin, says the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert, or y'all's translation might say in the wilderness. So the first words are in the desert. And the last one is Deuteronomy, and it is what Devereem D E V A R I M Yeah Devereem D E V A R I M It means these are the words or gave his words So now you take the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the meaning, and this is the story that you get. In the beginning, these are the names he called in the desert and gave his words. Come on. Now, we won't, we won't break off to all the things that we could talk about in the Torah and the messages that are hidden. But just know that we could. I'm going to practice self-control. All right, let's keep going. Perhaps the greatest insight of all, however, is that man was made in God's very image and likeness. Every time you look in the mirror, you are looking at the image and likeness of God. Whether you believe it or not. We were made to be like God in a variety of ways, namely in how we look and function. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Let's go there. Someone stand and read this loud and proud. 26 through 28, please. Very loud, Valentin.
0: And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be
1: fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. And multiply.
0: And fill the earth. And
1: subdue, it, subdue it.
0: And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves
1: on the earth. It's good. This means that we are patterned after Him and resemble God. When the creation saw mankind, it was, in essence, seeing God Himself in all of His glory. As the psalmist declares, Psalm 8, 4, and 5. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Some of y'all from the Revelation class. What are the four creatures that are on uh, the four living creatures? The lion, Ox. ox, eagle, and man. And we see man... Made in the image of God, made a little lower than the heavenly beings, creation is looking at God in his glory. Both of the italicized terms are used for God's glory, majesty, and splendor. Bruce Waltke notes that this indicates man as God's counterpart, not as equal, but one sharing his nature and dominion. What then was man supposed to do with this splendid and glorious new existence? Genesis 128 tells us, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over fish, birds, and every living creature that moves on the ground. Three simple commands or blessings called mitzvahs. Hebrew are given here. An example, it is a blessing for mankind to be obedient to God's will, namely to populate, spread out in and govern the earth. While commands or mitzvah has a slightly negative connotation in our society to the Jewish culture, it is a blessing because it points to life or the right way to live. I wanted to ask you guys a quick question. Why do you guys think that God's commands get seen as negative? What three tasks were originally given to man, and how do they relate to these verses? Who will take Matthew 28:18 through 20? Okay, Shane. Who will take John 1:18? Okay, Alan. Who will take Acts 10:38? Okay, Veronica. Okay, let's go with Matthew 28 first, and then I want to hear some of y'all's answers. Who's got that one? Okay, I'm going to stand up and read it. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Beautiful. So right here, before we move on, y'all give me some of your answers. Those three tasks that were originally given to man... How do they relate to Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty? All right, John one eighteen. Go ahead, Alan, when you're ready. Tell us what you wrote for that. All right, Acts 10.38, who had that one? Okay, good. How does that fit? Three tasks. In the next couple of chapters, the scripture goes on to show more specifically. How these blessings were set into motion first in Genesis 2 8 and 15 the man Adam is placed in a garden which he begins protecting and cultivating I circled that is placed in a garden remember when you think about Adam don't just think about him being formed in the dust of the garden of Eden remember he was formed outside and then placed in the garden he himself was a planting in the garden. And he begins protecting and cultivating. God sees that the man needs a helper suitable for corresponding to him. That's Genesis 2, 18. Thus he creates the female and provides an easer. This is a very important word. Easer is usually translated helper or helpmate, but it carries a meaning that conveys a help that allows you to complete what you couldn't do alone. In other words, it does not imply subordinate as much as cooperation or co-operation. So the female would help Adam perform the calling that he couldn't do alone. Procreate, fill the earth with God's image. Subdue evil, etc. What goes in the blank? Easer. Easer is a Hebrew word used to describe the helpmate that assists you in accomplishing what you could never do alone. Can we have honesty time for a second? Can we do honesty time? If you're a woman in here, raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. Now we know that hand works. Do you have any fear? Of becoming a subordinate to a man. Or of being a subordinate to a man. Okay, it's just honesty. It's honesty time. Okay, look. This is a genuine fear. It's a genuine... You can put your hands down. Genuine fear, genuine concern. When you read about the term helper or helpmate, does that seem derogatory? We see God is called our easer. It's so important to understand this word, easer, in the context of a marriage. Because a lot of women fear this picture. I think down south, the picture that we would use is barefoot in the kitchen with a baby on, on the hip. Barefoot and pregnant. There you go. That's what we would say down south. Is that a term up here too? Will they talk about that? Okay. I don't know all the vernacular yet. But things are very, listen, things are very different. We're not going to go off on too much of a tangent. I have seen there is, there is a difference in the relation of men to women up here. It's very different. And I, that is one thing that I very much notice. When you're talking about Ezer as in helpmate or who Eve was to Adam, when it says helper, I want you to know that the context that it's given in is Adam was told to reproduce to be fruitful and multiply the animals passed in front of him. He's like, there's a male and a female, male and a female, male and a female, male and a female. They're all going to be able to reproduce. What will I do? And he saw that there was no suitable helper to be found because he was given just a few commands, wasn't he? And he was not able to fulfill those commands unless he got a helper. Once he had a helper, then he could fulfill the commands of God. I think as we've been selling, and this is a tangent for just a second, I think that we've been selling when we tell people who are single and we say that you should just be dating God or let let God be your husband. When we're talking about it, and have y'all heard that? Okay. Okay. I think what we're looking... The way that we're looking at it wrongly is because we are mostly concerned with the physical aspect of being alone. And we're mostly looking for the physical closeness or intimacy. But when it talks about a marriage, remember the original context that it was given in was not because everybody else was putting up pictures of their wedding or their babies and you were jealous. But because God and I'm not making light of this, I'm, I'm, I'm talking truth. But the original context was you were called to do something and you can't do it alone. That's why it matters so much that God is our easer. Now, I think we're putting it in the right context and and we do that here. Psalm 121. Let's go there. Brad, would you stand up and read Psalm 121, please? Did you catch it? My help. That's easier. My easier comes from the Lord. Where does my help come from? The Lord is my easier. Keep going. Because it's going to show you. It's going to show you how he helps you. Keep going. You will not let.
0: shade
1: at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The
0: Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore.
1: Come on, y'all know that Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir song? For the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Nobody knows that song? Oh, man. You want me to say some more? The Lord is our helper. He's our helper. Now, within that context, it makes a lot more sense to say the Lord is my help. Because what is my primary function on this earth? Is it to be comforted? Is that my primary goal? No. What's my primary goal here on this earth? Yes. This is how we're taking the basics that we're learning and applying them. We're not making it more complicated than this. We're not allowing ourselves to be confused. When we say, what is my purpose here on earth? This is why we're going back to basics. This is why we're doing this foundational class. Because what is our purpose? Y'all say it. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. That's why we're here. When we get off into left field or right field and go to the left or to the right, we miss it and we get confused and we start to get frustrated. We look around, we see everybody else getting what they want and we're not getting what we want. We take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Make sense? So here we see mankind created in the image of God, functioning like God as governor of his creation living in perfect communion with one another, ready to populate the earth under God's sovereign control. In just a short time, though, something happens. A break, a separation between God and mankind. Communion with him is destroyed, and the image bearer becomes marred. What happened? Describe man's intended role prior to the fall in your own words. If we read Genesis 2, 16 and 3, 1 through 13, we find out what caused the great disruption between God and man that took man man from the subduing agent to the subjugate. For brevity's sake, the story has been summarized by paraphrase below. God gives man freedom to rule and reign, subdue and procreate within the garden. There's only one restriction. Don't eat from a particular tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? God wants to maintain the prerogative of revealing right and wrong to mankind. Why was it so important that there be a tree of knowledge of good and evil that they could not eat from? They were still given a choice. If there was no way for them to say no to God, then there was not a choice. They had authority. Remember, God gave them authority. He's the sovereign perfect, indestructible one. So, do the man and woman heed God's command? Do they listen to his wisdom? No. A serpent shows up, which the Bible teaches us is Satan. Keep your finger in the book, and let's turn to Revelation 12.9. We did a study uh, a few weeks ago at the house afterwards, after this uh, meeting. By the way, anybody's invited to that? Um, and Revelation 12:9. Somebody read that.: The great dragon
0: was hurled
1: down the Satan They've known him from the beginning. That's good, Hans. Revelation 12:9. And he deceives the unsuspecting woman, convincing her to eat of the tree. Where is her husband during this time? She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Genesis 3, 6. Thus, both man and woman fail to submit to the commands of God, become aware of their nakedness, and become frightened of God's presence. Consequently, they try to cover themselves and hide from their mistakes by running from God and then deferring blame, Thereby setting the precedent that the rest of humanity would forever follow. Here we go. You want the story of our lives when we fall into sin. Sin. Try to cover it up. Run and hide. Defer blame when caught. And the cycle goes on and on. You don't need to read the Bible to discover that truth. We see it all around us, don't we? Thus the image bearer became degraded and behaved like an enemy towards his benevolent God. His new master was sin. So we have God creating us in his image and in his likeness. The glory of God revealed to creation. We are given authority like God over this whole earth to rule, reign, subdue it, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill and subdue the earth. These were our commands. And instead we traded it. Satan comes along with temptation. Now, Satan offers to know like God, doesn't he? Remember when we wrote the lies up on the wall? They're still back there. They're still on the wall back there right now. The lies that we got from the garden that originated from there. And these lies have continued to perpetuate. You can boil just about every problem that we have. Everything that we deal with on a large scale You can boil it down to these lies that were in the garden. I guarantee it. We've sat down with many, many people and talked through many difficulties, many situations. They all boil down to lies. And these are lies that are common. I think counselors get it to a certain degree when they say, tell us about your father. Tell us about your mother because they see these original lies. Well, I want to tell you, it goes all the way back to our situation with our real father, with our true father. And there was a separation that existed there. There were lies that got in there. So describe man's reaction to sin. Let's get a few answers on this. I want to hear y'all's thoughts on this. Yeah, I wrote isolate, hide, be filled with shame, uh, condemnation, question our identity, our worth, our value. The results of sin. If we continue on in the narrative, we discover the results of mankind's disobedience. Not only is his relationship with God broken now, other consequences follow. The consequences outlined in Genesis 3:14 through 19. Let's read those. Uh, Someone read out 14 through 19, please. And I want you to really pay attention as we read through this, because we look at these uh, what we're about to read and we call it the what? The curses. I want you to look and I want you to see, because when I discipline my children or I tell them about consequences that they're going to receive, that's very different than me pronouncing curses upon them. I want you to think about that. When they do something that's wrong, I don't pronounce curses on them. I might tell them consequences that will be painful, but I want you to look at the words that are used and see if it's described as him cursing Adam, cursing Eve, okay? So someone read out 14 through 19, if you would, please. Oh, stand up, bro.
0: And the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. And your belly shall go on the dust and shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and
1: her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Okay, real quick, what's been cursed so far? The serpent. The, serpent. the serpent. Serpent's been cursed. Anything else? No. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, pause. Did he curse Eve? Can pain seem like a curse? Yes. Is pain also associated with discipline? Yes. Does God discipline those he loves? Yes. Did he curse Eve? Okay, keep going. Okay. Did he curse Adam? Did he explain to Adam the new realities as a result of Adam's actions? Do you see the difference? Was God cursing Adam and Eve? No. He was explaining to them what was now their reality as a result of their choices. Does that sound a lot more like a father to a child than an angry God? is trying to get back at people who disobeyed him. Do you see the difference? (laughs) So for the land we see cursed produces thorns and thistles. Man work becomes a burden. Ultimate end is death. You are dust and to dust you shall return. Obviously death applies to the woman as well. Woman childbirth becomes painful. Desire to control her husband but he will rule. That's I'll break that down real quick. So when it says your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. There is two ways that that's seen a desire, not just meaning like desiring, like as you would desire anything, but also desiring to consume what you'll see. And we won't go too deep into this, too. When a man is leading, well, the woman desires her husband when he is not what rises up is his desire to consume and to lead and to be the one leading and not just to lead, but to consume. You see it in nature too. It's kind of crazy biting the head off serpent cursed crawl on its belly and eat dust enmity between seed of serpent and seed of woman seed of serpent will strike his heel, but seed of woman will strike his head. Amen. So not only has death now entered the human race, everything becomes a struggle for the man and woman. The land fights against them. Their bodies become destructible. Amen. And this war between the serpent and Adam and Eve's offspring plagues the future of humanity. Furthermore, mankind is now cast from the presence of God. Banished from the Garden of Eden. Forbidden to eat from the tree of life. Let's read those uh, two verses real quick. 22 through 24. Also. Remember, when you're reading in uh, Genesis, especially in the first few chapters, I want to encourage you guys, it is as concentrated as the book of Revelation is. It seems simple because we've read it so many times, but there are huge revelations and stories built into every sentence. Everything is so extremely important that is spoken in the first few chapters of Genesis because it literally shapes the rest of humanity for the rest of man's rule on the earth. Right. And so when we're reading in verse 22, uh, someone read out 22 through 24, please be thinking that. Amen. So now, once again, what might look like a curse, look at it instead through the lens of a loving father. Instead of saying, oh, there was something good for them. If they're not going to die, just let them eat from the, the tree of life. Well, what had happened? They were now separated. And if death wasn't allowed or if death wasn't defeated, they would remain in this separated state forever. Do you see that? So he began the process, which was not plan B, by the way. That's a mind bender. He began the process of defeating death. And, and he's guarding the way back to the tree of life because that's where we ultimately end up. Okay, moving on. What are the practical implications of the fall? Let's hear some of your answers. I wrote down a lot more confusion and questioning about how to do what should be done. War between man and woman. A lot more frustration. Constant awareness of death. Greater potential for fear. So how does this ancient story affect us? So I wrote down, we are born into the realities of these consequences. We don't even have a naturally occurring reference point to how things should be. Look at this little diagram that was given. James 1, 13 through 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. So are you experiencing temptation? You wonder why you keep getting tempted to do the same thing over and over again. It's because there are desires in you that are contrary to what God has for you. And then you get dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it literally says desire, dragged and enticed. Sin is birth. You can see it's growing. Sin grows. Death occurs every single time. In the same way that if you ever played any video games and you have to repeat the level over and over again until you learn like, oh yeah, a bad guy comes out right there, right? Learning from our mistakes and recognizing, wait, if I continue to do it this way, I'm going to die. I will die. I have to change what I was doing or I'll end up in the same situation. We have to change right? When Joseph runs from Potiphar's wife in that moment, he has got to get out of there because in his mind, it's boom, 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 boom. I'm going to die. If I go down this road and he had to flee, he had to leave, resist the devil. And he will flee from you besides the obvious decay of the human body and the death of all mankind. Great struggle now exists internally and externally. The internal struggle is with sin. And is illustrated in Romans seven, seven through twenty five and James one, thirteen through fifteen. See the chart below. The external struggle is with the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what we were talking about this past Sunday. Ephesians six twelve. Both of these stimuli as well as the overall ways of this world from Ephesians two two influence our behavior, and cause us to become the enemies of God. Colossians 121, in the words of Psalm 14, 2 and 3, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt, and there is no one who does good, not even one. True or false, guys? I have always been a pretty good person and have loved God in my own way. False. False. Yes. Right, so we submit, Peter talks about submitting to the authorities, and if anybody can find a few of those. The, the question was, not all authorities are bad. Not all powers are bad, right? Yeah. But the ones, the spiritual forces. It is talking about spiritual forces, because it says our battle is not against flesh and blood is the other part of that verse, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. What you should always remember as a rule of thumb. Can I see the person? Then they are not my enemy. If I can see them, they're not my enemy. Okay? If it can be touched, I can touch Stephen. Stephen is never my enemy. Right? Garrett, never my enemy. I can touch Dan. He is never my enemy. You could put anybody in front of me, and I, if I can touch them they are not my enemy. I'm too fast, you can't touch me. What's that? What's that? I fast you can't touch me. <laughs> Still not my enemy. The Bible goes on from Genesis to Revelation to so, to show just how damaged our relationship is with God. Furthermore, it proclaims time and time again that no matter what we do, it will never be enough to earn our redemption. Thus, we are eternally separated from God. And are unable to return to him. In our own strength. Just like trying to return to Eden. Can't do it. We can't do it in our own strength. But that's not the end of the story. While the word of God does say a great deal about our corruption. It also proclaims a message of hope for mankind. Namely that God had a plan to restore. Each one of us back to himself. Because of his great love for humanity. And his whole creation. 1 Corinthians 15. 21 through 28 presents Jesus as the restorer of humanity and the creation. And Acts 17, 30 through 31 presents Jesus as the judge of all mankind. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of those uh, passages that you need to put in your back pocket. 1 Corinthians 15. And Alan, I will break down in a little bit. I'll break down a little bit what those words mean. The power, dominion, and authority. Uh, who will read 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 28? We are almost done. I will. All right. Uh, yes, ma'am. So, it is speaking directly of authority in this verse. Dominion, the word is arche, A-R-C-H-E, with a little dash over the E. That is dominion. That literally means that which is first place, that which dominates. The word for power, dunamis, D-Y-N-D. A M I S. I don't know why they pronounce the Y as a U, but that's how you say it. Dunamis. D Y N A M I S. And that literally means that which is mighty and strong. And then authority. That word is exousia. E X O U. S-I-A, which means choice, influence, privilege. So if I read those definitions into this, when it says, after he has destroyed all which are first place, all which dominate, all which have influence, privilege, and choice, all of the mighty And strong. He will put all of those under his feet. Or you could say it another way. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Our hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaimed throughout the older and newer testament. Namely that God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. Remember that word world there is cosmos. Which means everything created. God so loved everything created that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not per- perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. Again, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says about Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Once more in Romans 5, 8, Paul states god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us so let me ask you who is the judge of mankind and who is our only hope for eternal life yes. unanimous so what's god's answer for our reconciliation with him jesus we'll learn more about jesus life ministry death and resurrection and so forth in our next session For the time being, reflect on this statement made by the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of John, the 14th chapter and 6th verse. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are bold words that demand a response from every human being. Let me get a few people to share with me your response that you wrote down. I wrote submission in every aspect of life, destruction of idolatry, and persistence in obedience. Amen. That's good stuff. Y'all ready for your homework? Okay. This week, you're going to ask someone to share their story with you. Just ask them, like, hey, tell me, tell me about your story. Tell me about where you're from. Tell me about how you got to this place, and ask them questions. Ask them to share their story with you. It's gonna be a little bit more involved than in who is God to you, who is Jesus to you, but we've been working up to this, right? Here is, here, is another, here is another piece of homework. Here is another piece of homework. I want you guys to find a logical flow in scripture and show how authority was given up from man and taken back by Jesus. Authority was given up by man and taken back by Jesus. That's, the, that's what we just covered in that chapter. So you're going to have to search the scriptures and you're going to have to show logically through some scriptures. Right. And you might have to partner up and team up with people to work this out. Right. Right. Cool? Anybody want to pray for us? All right, Veronica, please. Discipleship Helps is a creation of the One Association of Churches. To find out more about the One Association, you can visit one-association.org.